Hello and welcome to CX Today. My name is Charlie and today I'm delighted to be joined by five excellent customer experience analysts to run through all the latest news from the space. Yesterday, I'm delighted to be joined by Zeus Caravala, Principal Analyst at ZK Research, uh, Liz Miller, VP and Principal Analyst at Constellation Research, Rebecca Westerman, CEO and Principal Analyst at Valois, uh, Michael Fawcett, Founder, CEO and Chief Analyst at Arian Research, and joining us for the first time, uh, Keith Kirkpatrick, Research Director at the Futurum Group. It's great to have you all join me and uh, yeah, let's get right into the news. And I think the big kind of first story uh, that we must discuss uh, is the departure of Jeff Lawson as CEO of Twilio, the company that he built. Uh, last month, we already talked a fair bit about this and the growing influence of activist investors at Twilio. And uh, now this has seemingly led to this big change uh, at the top. I know, Liz, you couldn't uh, join us last month, so maybe I'll start with you for maybe some fresh perspectives uh, on this. And what do you think maybe uh, went wrong uh, for Jeff Lawson at the end of Twilio? I, that's that is the well how much money have they lost so far that because that, that would be the x million dollar question right like that's that i think that's where we're at i mean i listen i think that um it was it was it's kind of one of those like it's sad to see him go because you know what he built is that solid base you know you look at twilio and you're like wait a minute there's a lot of great stuff in there they've made a lot of really good moves there's you know, hey, wow, that like you hear about a tool or you remember you get a briefing and I don't know about you guys, but like I sit there and kind of go, oh, yeah, they really are really smart people with really smart ideas. But for some reason, over the last several years, they've really struggled to bring it all together and they've really struggled to kind of keep moving that ball forward. And I, you know, I for me, I look at not only kind of everything that happens, you know, across the Twilio proper set, let's call it but then also look at segment. And I gotta tell you, I'm frustrated every single time I think of it because I wanna see where the innovation is. I wanna see where the advancement is. Where's the investment? Why aren't we moving forward? We're, we keep bringing up the same thing every single time. And it's kind of like this incredibly frustrating moment. So I, I think that at some point, there does have to be that massive shakeup and that giant reckoning. And sadly, I think Jeff's the reckoning, right? I think that moment of, we have got to do something drastic um, is Jeff's departure. Do I think it's going to solve all the problems? That's my bigger concern because I think a lot of times when activist investors come in, they make that big chop at the top and there's no real strategy there, right? Like there's no right. real response to fill in that yeah. vacuum. And they've got a really short amount of time to really prove, I think, to their customers first, the market second we all come down to a probably a very low third that yeah. there is a strategy and that it is implemented at second one. And I, I, I gotta, I gotta be honest. I don't, I don't see it. I mean, the, the problem, and I I think I probably said this on the show last time are, are activist investors who don't understand the, the market uh, or the technology. And so they come in with these great ideas like, oh, here, just sell off half your business. That'll be great. Everything will work fine. <laughs> Except as, 
<laughs> no, and unfortunately, especially in a company that you know started as a developer-focused API-based platform and has started to make that kind of traditional shift to an application company, and they're in the middle of it. They're not done. <laughs> and so, you know, it's a complicated thing and the market's been complicated. So I, I don't know, I, I was, I hate to see Jeff go, but at the same time, I know internally, they've had a lot of disagreement on, on that strategy and how to execute that strategy. And I'm sure that's caused, you know, part of that financial miss. You know, like, like many founders though, they, they do have a hard time executing on the vision. Yeah. So I do think Jeff had great vision. <clears throat> they acquired a lot of companies. You know, I also, I remember when they launched Flex, that was around the time that Amazon launched Connect. Yeah. Um, they never really became the disruptor in the context in a space like Amazon Connect has become. And I also thought the segment acquisition kind of distracted them from what they were trying to do with context. Center. So their strategy ebbed and flowed. And <clears throat> I do think he's a, he's a great visionary. I think he had a good idea of what he wanted to do with the company, but not all visionaries or execution people. Yeah, right? and to Alyssa's point too, there's a lot of great technology there and you've got to wonder if in a different economic environment, this couldn't have been a, let's buy it, take it private, rework it outside the pressures from the market and bring it back. Mm. You know, there's just not yeah. the appetite for folks to do that right now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think one of the things here is it's like if you look at any kind of a major sports team, they're going through struggles, they fire the coach with the idea that any change is better than no change. And if you look at, you know, Coe is going to be taking over. He's got experience. He worked G in a large organization. I think that that's a positive for them. Someone who actually can take them, you know, from where they are now and hopefully, you know, implement the strategy, whatever that might be moving forward. He has the experience, you know, doing that. I'm not sure it takes the pressure off from those activist investors, though. Well. Yeah, because the thing that I keep wondering is to Zay's point, and, and, and Michael, also yours, yeah. the very core of Twilio has always been developers love us, right? Like, remember, yeah. like that was all, like, it was like a billboard, and that's all you saw, and it was like, developers yeah, ask your love developers. us. a tagline, right? For a long yeah. time. Right, exactly. Yeah. So where's that leadership? Because the the, the the actual market of developers, the actual people building this stuff has changed drastically, right? Their, their demands, their needs, how they want to build, whether it is something that's in the contact center, whether it's across telephony writ large across their organization, whether it's about data. This is a very different group of people that they need to be selling to. And there are times, and I don't know about you guys, I don't think they remember that. Like, like yeah, if I you're remember. selling segment and you're also selling Twilio, that's a very different developer who's looking mm -hmm. at data and the fabric of data mm -hmm. that's across your organization. Where's that realization? And that, that's where I feel like some of these missed balls and say, as to your point, maybe, maybe that was the wrong way to go. You know, maybe trying yeah. to pretend you were a marketing automation company was not actually the direction you needed to move in, but that's where you are now. So it's like, you know, and to Keith, your point, listen, yeah, you changed your coach, but you got to play the game you came to play. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, there's been a, a big kind of transition in the marketplace too from CDP, right? We, we, we oh, sort God, of yeah. had the idea of CDP and then we ended up with marketing and it was all more about marketing. And now, you know, we're trying to talk about it in a different uh, kind of perspective across the whole business and how do we, you know, aggregate all the data and we need that for AI and all the other things we're doing. So, I, I mean, there's a ton of, of confusion around the CDP space right now anyway. Oh, so, they're definitely still in the marketing toy for marketing things lane. 
Yeah, unfortunately, but but there's certainly other people that are trying to use it for you know the broader application, yeah. and it's just it's very confusing, I think, right now. Hmm. Yeah, excellent. I think lots of really great stuff there. And it's interesting too that they've pulled Flex into back into the communications platform away from the data analytics with Flex. Uh, sorry, with the segment um, too, and perhaps that kind of highlights that they themselves have recognized some of those issues, and hopefully, it's something that they can. Uh, they can, uh, the new CEO will work out, but we'll see. Um, I do want to kind of shift gears now and talk about a big acquisition that's happened uh, within the customer experience space. And that's from Zendesk, maybe one of the biggest CX vendors that we don't really talk about that often uh, on this show. And they've bought up uh, Klaus, a provider of contact center quality assurance and analytics. Um, and this comes after the acquisition last year of uh, Timeshift, the WFM, the workforce management platform. This seems to give them quite a good basis for a workforce engagement management platform. And that they might be an interesting new competitor there. I don't know. So yes, we talked last uh, last year, maybe 2022 now even, um, after Zendesk's acquisition um, from kind of investors. What did you maybe make of this move in this direction into kind of the WEM space? Well, I think I think it shows their the art front. Well, first of all, like the contacts in our space are what you know, everybody that plays in the car, that's getting awfully crowded now. Um, you know, it's like everybody that has anything to do with customer experience is throwing his hat in the contact center space. So that's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. Also, I do think if you're going to play in the space that you do need to have quality management, workforce management, a lot of companies partner in that area, but more and more, you're seeing more companies build their own, right? And so I think this is all like bricks in the wall for Zendesk to move out of this kind of niche space they've been in and, and actually become a real you know, uh, CX or contact center company. And they, they've got a good brand. I mean, they've got really good customer loyalty. So um, I don't really see why they can't be successful here other than it's just a very, you know, crowded space. But I'd look, look for them to add to that. I, I do think that, you know, you look at a company like Nice, one of the reasons why they're so successful. I think at the last analyst event, they said um, when, when they replace a vendor in the contact center, there's like 15 other products they replace along with it or something crazy like that. And so those are all products that if you bring partners in to do, you're just opening the door for somebody else to, to sell in there. So I, I thought it was a good move for them. But what they're not replacing is CRM. And that's what Zendesk has, yes. right? I think I think a lot right. of times, it, especially in, I think a lot of times in contact center, we want it to, we want everything to kind of come into the contact center. And I think what Zendesk does very effectively is pulls the contact center into the rest of CX and, and CX writ large, not CX for the contact center, right? And so I think that when when we look at something like Zendesk, it's also important to understand that they've got they've still got a really strong sales product, even though they aren't really investing in it right now. They're not really promoting it right now. It's a handy little product. It's actually delivering revenue for customers who are using it effectively. So I, I think that, you know, I, I do think that you're gonna gravitate and you're gonna lean into what you know. And with the genesisification, is that what we all agreed was going to be the descriptor of that? When everyone in your C-suite suddenly became someone who worked at Genesis, and that's everyone yeah. that you hire then used to work at Genesis. It's the genesisification of an organization. Uh, that's what with that. That's certainly what's happened at Zendesk, and I think we're starting to see that, and we're starting to see some of that play out. Yeah, they have more Genesis execs than Genesis does. Yeah, right, right. They're like they have more Genesis. Yeah, it's like it's like the alum party is happening at Zendesk right now. But that's fine. Yeah, but I, I I do think that when it comes to what Zendesk truly is and can be, 
this makes a whole lot of sense because if you look at it from a CRM perspective, that's the data you need. It's not necessarily the management and that, that management of quality that, you know, it's not that traditional QA play. This opens up a whole opportunity for a lot more data, a lot more control over how that CRM is really playing out in those moments that matter. Because again, I mean, I think we've all said it before. I've heard every single one of you say this. I know we all violently agree on this. For all these great tools that are embedded with AI and Gen AI, and oh my God, have you heard about this thing? It's called AI. You spell it with two letters, A and I. Okay. For all of that to work, we do not have enough data. The contact center is going to run out of data very, very quickly for all the things that AI is promising to do. And I think solutions like Zendesk are trying to figure out how do I expand the corpus without really blowing up the rest of the stack. So I think it's a, I think it's a good move. I actually think there's enough data. Data is just in silos, right? Which, which is the problem. Well, the other thing interesting too with this, the other thing interesting too with this, to Liz's point is, you know, there's a lot of data in QA, and it's sort of we're sort of at that interesting point where all of a sudden with AI, I can actually do QA consistently using data from all of my cases and not just the ones that a manager is cherry picking. So could Zendesk build this on their own? Sure. Are they getting a set of data and a set of models trained on that data to do QA very well? Yes. What's that worth given what's going on in the market and the evolution with AI right now? I'd say it's a good buy too. Yeah, I mean, it, it was definitely a hole for them, and and I and you know they were already in partnering with them and, right. and to use the solution anyway. So it's just a logical next step, I think, to bring it in house and and uh, and expand their footprint. It, it, it definitely is you know a positive in my perspective anyway. Yeah. Well, definitely the, the other thing it does it gives them uh, additional credibility in the market in terms of you know everyone has been talking about quality, not just with live agents, but also digital interactions, you know, being able to really refine those interactions based on data, as opposed to just saying, well, we think that, you know, that people like to do this and that. So, yeah, I I agree. I think it's a good play. And it's again, though, Liz, to your point, you know, bells, whistles, whatnot. We we hear about it all the time. It, It is truly, you know, it's about the data. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to think about for every Zendesk ticket, now you'll have an automated quality score alongside the intent and the sentiment and things that maybe a contact center could do with that is, uh, yeah, it is quite uh, impressive to think about. And just kind of one final topic now to shift gears. Uh, again, I do briefly want to talk about Verant. We spoke about them uh, quite a lot, uh, again, uh, last year. Uh, but they announced at the start of this year kind of a big $49 uh, million uh, dollar healthcare win, and they were very much kind of emphasizing how open CCAS and specialized bots were a big uh, part of that. And I know kind of they had this big analyst. Event. They have a lot of bots. A lot <laughs> of bots. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. I think they. I think somebody told me it would be up to. They're hoping to get up to 150 before the end of the uh, before the end of 2024. Yep. So it's quite a lot going on there. Yeah. Um, so it'd be interesting yeah, to get your thoughts on kind of where you see this strategy going. I saw Rebecca, you actually put out a really good article on this. So I don't know, maybe if you want to, uh, you want to start on this one. Sure. You know, they, they do have a lot of bots and some pretty aggressive goals for getting there. And I think if we look at the approach, it's yes, it's about changing sort of the model, but it's also about rethinking pricing and how we do this. So how do I price these deals when I'm not pricing on a per seat? basis, but instead on a resolution basis. And that's going to require a lot of contact center managers to kind of rethink how they negotiate on 
on pricing. So yes, the technology is interesting. And yes, they have a lot of bots out there. And yes, they, they're they certainly making some investment and, and winning some big deals. But for everyone, I think this sort of marks us starting to rethink about when digital channels are the majority of interactions, how do I price these sort of things effectively so I'm not tethered to a per user or per agent model that doesn't make sense anymore? I talked to a BPO who's the, they've shifted large at all digital uh, um, interactions and the pricing model, I won't say who the vendor is, when, once you owned a, a handful of seats, agents that you got unlimited digital, right? And so he said their costs have gone way down. And then I talked to the vendor and, mm. you know, I, I do think the a new pricing, I do like utilization-based pricing that I, I know, you know, Amazon uses that now. And I know the TCN uses that. They've got their yeah, yeah. TCN doesn't have any contracts. Like so they're they're all consumption across yeah. it scares customers platform. of course because they yeah. don't really know what what their bill is gonna be. But I think you could almost do something like the power companies do or if you want to flatten it out, here's what we assume you'll have and yeah. you pay the overage or whatever. But I, I do think the the model that we've used, the per user per agent per month is just it's it's long overdue for the change. It's getting yeah. old fast, especially with AI, yeah. right? Look at cool. look at where everyone. I mean, even if we look outside the the industry and the market, you've got you know Salesforce, Data Cloud. There, you know, that's all on consumption. You've pretty much got everyone who has woken up to the reality of AI. Every vendor has realized, yeah. dang, yes, compute is cheap. But this type of compute isn't as cheap as we want it nope. to be right now, right? <laughs> so it costs a lot. Like you want to do Gen AI, you want to do all the, you want to have all these big bots. Guess what? This is not an inexpensive vendor venture for yeah. any of these vendors. So they're having to shift the price model, but they're not quite sure because they, is to your point, and it's an excellent one. There's a whole lot of sticker shock. But then the minute they make that step, they're like, oh, wait a minute, my prices came, you know, my, my costs came down there. We're seeing this. Yeah. They're looking for that offset, whether it's an offset in digital, they're looking for that, that no contract promise. But the reality is, is that, you know, it's a dangerous move with a CFO, right? This, this becomes a real slippery slope real fast yeah. because we've, and we've been here before. Like we, we, this is not a game. None of it, like we have all played this game before on pricing changes. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden the CFO is going to be like, oh, okay, well, this is how it's always going to be then. So right. now, now yeah. the goal is going to be bring down your consumption right. because we meant, we, we oh, used yeah. to work in the mindset of bring down your seats. Well, right. that was easy. You just fired those darn people. Dang it! Those, you know, and it wasn't AI supposed to take over all their jobs anyway. Well, now we got to bring down consumption. So it just it becomes a real slippery slope yeah. when we start to when kind of when we start going down the pricing path. I do think the interesting thing with Variant is, you know, they also the other thing is not only like did they want to have every bot to rule the world, they also want those industry specific bots. And I so I think mm -hmm. that the fact that yeah. this came in healthcare, it came in an industry where they've really been putting some you know, significant industry focus, I think also think is a very, very interesting statement that as much as the glamour of messaging and everything that we get told about has definitely shifted to what type of AI do I have? There is still very much a story that is very 2022, which, you know, we'd probably all say, remember all of those sessions we sat in because it was all about industry, right? 2022 is like the year of industry and like industries are going to rule them all. Now, all of a sudden, we're, you know, I'm sitting there looking at the news. When I saw it, I was like, well, maybe industry did rule it all. It just took us a year to get there. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and when you're using industry data and AI, it really matters. Mm. Whereas if it's just the workflows and the dumb stuff, it doesn't necessarily. Maybe exactly. faster and cheaper, but it doesn't really impact the data. I think the other the, the difficulty in changing pricing models, though, if you're a public traded company, is just I, can you imagine if you're like a pure play like five nine and you change that pricing model? Right now, you know, when you talk to Barry, their CFO, he'll tell you ninety five percent of the quarter next quarter is baked. Right, that won't be the case anymore, especially in seasonal businesses and things like that. That there's a there's a lot of implications to that, but I do think it's going to trend that way. I'm sure there'll be pain as that transition takes place, but. Yeah. You know, if you think even from an enterprise perspective, if you want to really link, you know, what you're doing with outcomes, you know, and and, not, and making sure that, you know, whatever you're using, you know, is right size to what you're trying to do in terms of a business perspective. I, I think consumption pricing is, is going to be continuing to creep in there because it, it, it just gives a, a bit more transparency. Yeah, it does bring us back to that funny conversation around kind of the, the converged contact center though, right? Because when when we start to like look at this definition of what everyone considers a modern contact center and we've got both inbound and outbound in one location, our dialers are consolidated, we can do things that are more proactive. When we start to look at that conversation again, like we resurrect that bad boy and apply the AI, but then apply a changing pricing model where now all of a sudden, if we are truly integrating that outbound, we're truly integrating that ability to look at everything from collections to sales through our contact center and through an integrated platform. Now, all of a sudden we're talking margin. We're having a very different conversation than that traditional conversation yeah. of just lowering costs, right? right? So if we've truly brought ourselves onto that modern platform where both inbound and outbound are integrated into one thing, you darn well better know how to deal with all the compliance, the best practices in collection, the best practices in sales through an outbound contact center, because all of a sudden you're looking at opportunity for that revenue line because of the contact center and in the contact center to really dramatically start to shift up, right? And if you can do that through a consolidated platform that's driving down cost, you know, in Zeus, your example of a BPO, you can use that example of look how dramatically I drove down the operational cost of the platform, but hey, I'm on this consolidated system that has all these best practices and I now made X number, more. I mean, that's, that's a margin conversation that the contact center has not necessarily been part of. Mm -hmm. I think too the the you know the strategy of the of this very small focused bot. So everything has these you know carve out features, and it's and it's and it's very specific to that task or set of tasks. That's really something that you're seeing across a lot of different AI startups right now. In a lot of ways, that this can be deployed. You know, GPTs and you know, you're starting to see a lot of that anyway. And then the other thing is, of course, AI is also starting to shift in general towards vertically focused. So this just fits right into what they're doing. I think it's, you know, I think it's working well and it makes a lot of sense. Is it wrong of me that I also ne can never get the phrase, I've got big bots and I cannot lie out of my head. Like I just can't <laughs> help it. And I kind of blame Varen for it. So thanks guys. That's awesome. Yeah. Way to start my year. Blame, now I'm going to blame Charlie for it too. <laughs> now you put it in my head. Thanks, Liz. Uh, <laughs> <but lots of> <laughs> <laughs> yes! Mission accomplished! Yes! Yeah, I think lots of really great stuff there. Uh, we, 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 we kind of stayed on the topic of variant, but lots of really great other discussion in there too about the future of AI, which is always great. Um, so thanks, uh, thanks to all of our wonderful experts for joining me and everybody uh, for watching. Bye for now. Bye.